Hey everyone, this is Ksenia Montan and welcome to another episode of People of Marketing podcast. I'm the founder and CEO of Planable, the collaboration tool for social teams, and I launched this podcast to take a sneak peek into the lives of top marketers. So every week we explore the story of their careers, the choices, mistakes, wins, and imperfections of their work life. Today, we're going to take a sneak peek into the life of Neil Schaefer. He's a leading authority on helping innovative businesses through their digital transformation of sales and marketing. Founder of the digital marketing consultancy PDCA Social, Neil is a very popular keynote speaker and has been invited to speak about digital media on four continents in more than a dozen countries. That's actually how I met Neil at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. He is also the author of four books on social media, uh, the most recently published one being The Age of Influence. Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on People of Marketing Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to be here. It's an honor. So I want to start, as usual, by walking a bit through your career and trying to connect the dots, you know, by looking backwards at, at your journey so far. I'm super curious to learn you know, you've spent your entire life in, in media and, and digital and, and social and marketing, but how did it all start? You know, what would you say was your first interaction with marketing ever? What got you into marketing in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question because for those that know me, or if you were to go to my LinkedIn profile, before social media, I was in B2B sales and not in marketing. Yeah. And when I was in B2B sales, I... First of all, I, I speak Japanese and Chinese. So I lived in Asia when I started my career and I did business in Japan and China. And for a few different companies, I was basically a, what you would call like a country manager right. or a VP of sales for the region. So I was in essence, sort of the CEO of my own little company within a bigger company. And as the CEO, at the end of the day, I was responsible for sales. So how do you drive sales? Well, obviously we hired salespeople and I managed them and I was selling myself, but I had to wear a lot of hats, right? And this was especially the first time I did this was when I launched our sales operations in China. It was a Japanese company, actually a Japanese semiconductor company. And we didn't have any marketing materials in Chinese, right? So you, you begin, I, I began very holistically thinking, well, if I want to establish business here, there are certain things I need to do. And a lot of those things were from the marketing side. It was, this is before websites were very popular. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it, was, it was, you know, gathering material to promote our product. It was actually exhibiting at trade shows, which became an important part of our strategy. And over time, it began to be doing something unique for the Chinese market because it required a different approach. It wasn't at that time an advanced country like the United States or, or the United Kingdom or, or many other countries throughout the world. So we began, or I should say I began of trying to figure out what, what is our company's role? Why would Chinese companies that would prefer to leverage domestic Chinese semiconductors, why would they want to do business with us? And then if they were going to import semiconductors, why wouldn't they do it from a more well-established brand name? Right. Uh, because our brand name was not well known at the time. Well, uh, the net net was, I 
you know, basically created a, a story, a, a dialogue around how we were there. You know, the other big brands didn't care. We cared and we really wanted to be their partner in helping them, um, you know, in helping them become stronger, becoming exportable uh, as a product, uh, as a company. And really, you know, pitched a, almost as if we were a Chinese company. I was the only non-Chinese. I hired only Chinese <laughs> employees, obviously. But, um, you know, I realized at that time that the power of, of marketing to, you know, through, through branding and, and storytelling and um, I don't know what you would call it, but it, it gave us the ability to really uh, differentiate ourselves and really connect with our end customer. And, and from that, we were very, very successful. And it's something that I repeated for other companies, really taking a step back and understanding our place in the market, our story, why people want to do business with us. And I know that this sounds very natural, but we weren't getting the support from our headquarters uh, for each of these regions that I managed. So, you know, at one point I remember uh, going on a sales call and my boss was asking me how I was preparing for it. And I said, well, this is the story I'm going to tell. He goes, oh, well, that's the marketing side. What about the sales side? So <laughs> I was already sort of doing marketing without knowing it um, while I was still doing sales. But it's really that holistic business experience, especially in Asia, that really taught me a lot about not just marketing, but the role of, of social media and really holistically looking at how these different pieces you know, fit into the puzzle of your business. So I am not a classically trained marketer. It's something that I learned yeah. um, as, as I went, right, in, with my career. That's the best, that's the best kind in my experience. How did you decide to make the leap from what you were doing in sales and onto social media in the end? So I think what happened was there came a point in time where I had to reinvent myself. And I say this, a lot of us shift careers um, you know, during uh, our lifetime. And I had lived in Asia for 15 years. When uh, I got married, had a baby girl, moved back to the United States to raise her, I was still working for one of the companies. I was basically remotely managing Asia from California. Yeah. Um, when I decided to, uh, you know, leave that company and look for uh, opportunities outside that industry, this is when I realized that you know my role has always been sort of a director, VP, uh, Asia Pacific sales, Asia Pacific business development and technology companies. But at that point, I realized that, well, why would someone want to go out of the way to hire an American when they can hire people locally to do the job for them, right? So that's what I meant by reinventing. I did end up finding another job. And it's funny because when I was in the job market for the first time in the United States, that's where I realized that I had to build a network that I didn't have because most of my professional network was in Asia. And that's where I got started spending a lot of time on a social network called LinkedIn. This is back in 2008. So yeah. um, it, I, I got so active in it that I was, they used to have a Q&A forum called LinkedIn Answers and LinkedIn groups used to be a little bit more organic. And I was just spending a lot of time but meeting a lot of people and learning a lot and answering a lot of questions to the point that when I got this next job, I launched a blog. And I launched the blog through LinkedIn as well because they used to support WordPress.com. And this job, unfortunately, only lasted three and a half months. Um, it was the beginning of the Lehman Brothers crisis back in 2008. Uh, also, the company was trying to sell themselves off. So they were trying to sort of clean up their balance sheets. So it was a major restructuring. The CEO, I think the entire corporate marketing department, uh, they said they were pulling the plug on international sales. So you know, there was no role left for me, right? right? And this is the first time in my life that I'm such a passionate individual about everything I do. 
that, you know, I was, you know, I was one day before a two and a half week trip to Asia where I had, you know, meetings with executives set up at more than a dozen companies. And, you know, just, it was taken away from me and it, it really hurt. You know, I'd never yeah. been hurt in that way because I'd always left companies before, uh, you know, they let me go. So uh, this was the first experience. And I realized I had to create something that no one can take away from me. And that, that is a brand, that is mm-hmm. a personal brand. So, you know, I was still in the job market after that, but my wife said, you know, why don't you write a book? <laughs> and I sort of laughed at her saying, I'm not an author, but as things happened that next year, I ended up writing uh, my first book called Windmill Networking, Understanding, Leveraging and Maximizing LinkedIn. Uh, through a lot of local networking and through the book, I got invited to do a lot of speaking and those ended up becoming paid uh, speaking gigs over time. And then in January of 2010, you know, social media was still new then and businesses were still trying to figure it out. So they were hiring me just saying, Neil, we don't know what we don't know. Will you help us? So it really started as a consultancy. I ended up launching an agency later on, but I don't have that marketing agency background. I think you know, back then what companies needed was they needed education, but they also needed a strategic approach. And to this day, that's really what I focused on working with companies, strategy and education. It sort of defines everything I do. And yes, I learned a lot as I went, but um, I got so deep into it. And probably because I have that different perspective coming from sales, a lot of social media marketing at the beginning was run by people from PR. Um, it was a very, very different approach. So I think that that sales approach, always looking at numbers, always looking at results, but that holistic business experience in Asia as well. I like to say social media replaces nothing yet complements everything because it's not the end all do all, but it's so powerful if you can, if you can plug it in the right areas to help your business. So all of that, you know, it helped me gain a really unique perspective that I think has helped me gain, you know, fans and customers since then. I love this. You have such an incredible story and the way you just reinvented yourself and, and shaped yourself is, is so, so inspiring. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what do you think was like the key to your, you know, very early stage success? I mean, you know, from one, uh, from at, at some point in time, your career kind of, you can, you can grow it, but the beginning, that's the hardest one, right? It's so right. hard to just make it work in the beginning. So what do you think was it? What did you have? Was it, you know, the fact that the market was pretty early stage, so there was, you know, still space to, to build something like that? Was it your experience from before, the passion that you had? What do you think was the key to your early stage success? You know, there were a few things. Definitely timing has yeah. to be part of it, right? Um, also, I was, you know, I, I recently wrote a book on influencer marketing and the key to becoming an influencer is that you're a content creator. So very early on, I became a content creator. Right. I had a blog about LinkedIn that was getting incredible traffic. I wrote a book in, in 2009, self-published on LinkedIn. There were only, you know, two or three books out on the subject at that time. Now go on to Amazon and yeah. there's dozens, right? So definitely, you know, the timing, the creating the content. But also, you know, the passion, I think, really helped that I, I wanted to get better. I wanted to learn more and I really wanted to help businesses. So it was very much this, this consultative approach that said, I'm not going to teach you, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help uncover, yeah. you know, both w- what you're trying to do and how that matches with social media. I think that approach definitely helped me as well. And then just getting out there, you know, whether it was blogging or being active on LinkedIn or going to local networking meetings or speaking at every opportunity. For those that are listening, 
you know, whether it's for yourself or for your business, there is so much you can do on a daily business, just on a daily basis, just to get out there. And if you're really confident about what you're doing and about your product, you have to get out there. You have to be, it's like you can run a, a social media channel and you can wait for people to engage with you, or you can proactively tap on people's shoulders in social media. It's the same concept. That's really where the magic happens. And I think those businesses and those influencers that have grown larger communities have been successful at doing that. That is really, really great advice. I can't resonate with it more. I feel like so much of what we've done at Planable very early on was based on just, you know, purely networking. And, yep. you, you know, from a, from a marketing and, and sales and customer perspective, of course, but also from, um, you know, finding advisors, finding investors, so many things out there, um, just, you know, problem solving, finding people that might, you know, answer to some very important questions that you have about your business. So I, I, I subscribe so much <laughs> to what you just said. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll never forget when all of a sudden I started getting comments on my blog <laughs> from a WordPress plugin called Buffer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Those okay, guys nice. started out by, by commenting on, on social media blogs and, and yeah. developing relationships and, and convincing people to put that buffer, uh, you know, plug in that buffer button on their WordPress blog. Of course, now they're, they're the totally different business model and company, but, but that I, I use them as a great case study. They put a lot of sweat equity into networking with bloggers, their target customers to get them to adopt them and to become the company they are today. Yeah, that's amazing. In the beginning, you just got to do, you know, small things that do not scale, but you have to do them to just move the needle forward. Absolutely. But I think that the things that you do then, hopefully they become part of your DNA. Yeah. Um, because even, you know, with, with COVID-19, we're finding and, and the advice that I'm giving to companies is you, you still need to be proactively engaging with your customers. Uh, you just have to do it digitally now, but, but you still need to do that. And I think the companies that are doing that are the ones that are weathering the storm better than those that just never digitally engaged. That's such a good point. So, you know, this actually takes me to my next question. How did your life and, and schedule change uh, with coronavirus now? What was, you know, the biggest change that happened or uh, were you actually impacted in any major way? Yeah, uh, coronavirus has been very, very interesting. So I'll never forget when I saw you at Social Media Marketing World. Uh, coronavirus had just started. This is like yeah. March 1st, 2nd. We weren't wearing masks yet. I think I in, in the speaker's bags, I think they were giving away uh, hand sanitizer. I never got any when I, I got there late. And anyway, I, I missed on the hand sanitizer. But um, I think people, I know that I was very cognizant of when I went to the bathroom and washed my hands. And I'll never forget, there was a tool company there called Metricool. And um, we had engaged beforehand. And, you know, I stopped by their booth. And I thought they were from Italy. And they go, no, we're from Spain. Because Italy at the time was where this big yes. outbreak was, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and they're like, no, 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 we're from Spain. Of course, Spain ended up <laughs> getting it. And then obviously, the United States is, is the worst for, for many reasons. And, and I'll never forget talking to Jen Herman. I remember talking to her. She's one of these Instagram experts. And she's like, Neil, isn't this going to affect your business? Aren't, you know? What, what about Japan and, and all the international speaking you do? And, yeah. and, you know, at the time, Americans thought they were going to be sheltered from this, right? Because she was mm -hmm. talking about the speaking engagement and, you know, on the East Coast in May and, um, and it's hit us all. And, you know, I have always diversified everything I do. So for those that, you know, rely on speaking 100% of their revenue, I think they are being really, really challenged. 
Uh, I was never like that. I, you know, I consult, I write, what have you. So the, the pandemic came at a really interesting time. So I did have speaking engagements scheduled that have been postponed, one in Serbia and Belgrade and one in Mexico City, um, as well as some other events that I was scheduled to speak at. But um, so it, it really, you know, from a revenue perspective and the way my business model works, it really didn't affect me negatively. What it effectively positively was actually since the pandemic, I've picked up three new customers, including my, my highest paying customer. Why, and, why was that? Why do you think that happened? Is it just because the importance of social media has become, you know, bigger and bigger? Or I've, I've heard that from, from many, you know, people that are doing consultancy or even implementation on social. What's, what's your insight on that? Yeah. So I think it's two things. Number one, absolutely. That, um, companies are realizing they have to have a digital first mentality. And even those that were doing it may not have been doing it enough. And then you have all the companies that were never doing it to begin with that are, that are just completely lost looking for help. So, you know, every digital marketer I know is as busy as ever, including myself. I have never been as busy, but I would say the second point is that I was just coming out with a book. So it was two weeks before I published the book at social media marketing when I published it March 17th. And once again, people are feeling sorry for me. Neil, you're publishing a book in the middle of the pandemic. We feel so bad for you. But, you know, I realized that, first of all, I don't, you know, I'm not going to let anything uh, affect me negatively. I'm going to keep doing what I do because I knew the book had value. And I believe that the pandemic only accelerated the need for digital marketing and for influencer marketing. So, you know, it, the, the pandemic came at a time where it actually allowed me to do all the promotions I've always wanted to do for my books that I've never had time to do because I was always traveling. So for me, it was, it was, I'm not going to say that the coronavirus was a blessing because obviously it's not, (laughs) but it did give me the ability to have zero travel and be really, really efficient with my time. And as part of that, as you know, I've had, and I know a lot of other digital marketers are the same. We've had like a renaissance of being able to create content Mm. because now we have time. We're sort of inspired to, and we understand its importance more and more. I mean, anyone and everyone are doing live streams these days, right? Um, but, but more than that, um, it, it's been a really great time. So it's, it's a combination of things, uh, but I always worked at home when I wasn't traveling. So for me, this is a natural. And uh, yeah, um, you know, and I think in promoting the book in the ways that I've been doing, it's definitely helped. I mean, two of these three new clients were sort of related to the book, uh, read the book or heard about the book or you know, heard me on a podcast talking about the book or, or what have you, right? So definitely that helped. It, you know, it goes back to where I started back in 2009 of, of having a book and getting the word out there. So, uh, you know, I, I think any company um, that's looking to generate sort of activity can be doing the same thing, you know, with a lead magnet, with an event. Um, but yeah, that's, it, it, it's, it's been really well. And I'm, I'm just really excited. I've, uh, you know, I'm already conceptualizing my next book, even though this one's only been out for, for four and a half months. Um, I'm already looking ahead. That is so fortunate. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for, for you, you know, for how things have, have went. And I'm very interested to, to find a bit more about this. You know, there's so many companies out there that are making, uh, significant changes for how they're going to operate after you know things go to some kind of normal. And I'm curious if if there's any kind of changes that you're considering for yourself professionally, or any any kind of things that you're considering to keep or uh, you know to change based on the impact uh, the coronavirus has made on on your career. Well. You know, I have always, like I said, worked from home and I've, there have been times when I've been at like co-working offices or what happened or yeah. what have you. Um, 
I do believe what this pandemic is going to do, even when we start going back offline, is it's really going to place a value on people meeting up in person. Mm, yes. So I know that businesses are going to cut back on office space as they probably should, but I also think that there's going to be weekly powwows, you know, weekly days that we work together, what have you. So, yeah. you know, I will probably be doing a little bit more at some point of co-working locally uh, for that reason. I think that I will be proactively going to more conferences because I miss that person to person networking. Right. Um, and I think that conferences are going to be at a premium in all honesty, once, once this all ends. But as far as the way I work, I mean, another thing that I've done is, like I said, I've always had um, multiple revenue streams. And there are some years where, you know, speaking is a, is a majority or other things. But what I've found with what, what I've done, a lot of the new clients I've picked up, I'd say, are in a fractional CMO role rather than the agency role. And I really enjoy that role because it allows me to get back to my roots uh, as a consultant of teaching companies you know, of giving them education and teaching them strategy and doing it together with their employees. So it has a lasting impact. So it, it doesn't scale, unfortunately, like an agency scales, but monetarily it actually does scale uh, more, you know, in, in some ways. So that's, that is a change that I have done where, you know, I'm going to limit myself as to how much of this fractional CMO work I can do to give me time for other things. But I'm, as I become you know, more and more well-known in the market, obviously I can charge more and more for those services where I still think that I, you know, it, it can be a very, very comfortable living. So that's one thing that I realized with this pandemic of something that, um, that I want to do going forward, a slight change you know, from the, the digital marketing consultancy to the digital marketing agency, sort of back to that digital marketing consultancy roots of mine. Gotcha. Okay. Um, something else that I wanted to ask you was uh, you mentioned that you were working from home even before coronavirus. And I know that, you know, so many people that were forced uh, to suddenly be working, uh, you know, from home were complaining about the loss in productivity. Since you've been doing that for such a long time before, I'm curious if you've, you know, what kind of tips and tricks have you implemented in terms of, you know, keeping yourself focused? What's the first thing you you do in the morning how do you structure your day how do you ensure especially that you're, you're you know doing so many things at once you know writing books and consulting and preparing to speak at events how do you manage to get you know to keep things organized and as productive as possible well i'd say for those of those listening that have lost efficiency think of the time you spend traveling True. back and forth to work, right? Or in my case, traveling back and forth to drive and pick up the kids at school or at soccer practice, right? So there's been a lot of time that's been saved. And I think it's really just sticking to a nine to five schedule as if you were at work. And, and this is what I do. Uh, you know, I, I set up my calendar for, you know, various you know, business meetings like this one. So I, I try to run my business you know, as if there was no pandemic, it's really the same thing. I have a dedicated office space in my house. Uh, in all honesty, I used to work out of the kitchen uh, and my wife was always saying, why don't you work in that beautiful office space you have? Uh, um, and, and now I'm doing that, right? And I'm closing the door and I have a CD player and I have hundreds of CDs. So I'm taking the opportunity to literally go through every one of my CDs, figure out if I want to keep it or not uh, while I work. And I've always enjoyed music. So um, so, so, you know, you have to build an environment that you really like to be in. And for me, it's a combination of music and all of my lifelong assets are in this room. 
because my wife doesn't want me to put them anywhere else in the house. She doesn't want to get, get it cluttered. So <laughs> I have this long-term project of sort of organizing all these things that I've accumulated over my lifetime, um, which, you know, and so I want to be in this space because when I'm working, I want to work, listen to music. When I'm not working, I want to listen to music and I want to, you know, slowly get more and more organized where, where I need to be. So you need to build the space. And I think, um, you know, keeping structure in your day. Uh, I have, it's funny, at the beginning of the year, I was with my daughter at, at Barnes and Noble and bought this little pad that said really simply things to do. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then, you know, weekend. And I, you know, I, every day I conceptualize, what am I going to do? Um, and, you know, it's something I started doing in January. I've, I've done things like this before, but, but really in a structured way that, um, you know, I started doing it before the pandemic, but now after the pandemic, it's really the same. There's some structure. Um, there's some notion that if I finish this, this, and this today, I have a sense of accomplishment. Because when you work at home, there's no off switch, right? Yeah. But it's, but it's really hunkering down and it's nine to 12, you know, working um, and it's one to five working and it's, it's going out for, for, you know, going outside uh, to the kitchen to get lunch or to get your, your cups of coffee. But it's really, it's closing that door and really focusing. And, you know, in, in marketing, there have always been, well, when we have the time, we'll redo our website or well, when we have the time, we'll write some <laughs> new web copy or well, when we have the time, we'll launch an Instagram account. You have the time right now, right? So yeah. if, you know, there's no other way to think about it than that. Um, you know, I guess when you're on the internet, because we're working from home and we're on the internet, there are lots of things that sort of tug at us. But, um, you know, I do believe, and I tell my kids the same thing, and I'll tell everyone listening the same thing. I do believe that how we operate during the pandemic really is going to differentiate us as, as students or as professionals. And I do think that, um, you know, there's a danger. There's a danger that companies will further cut back on people. And you want to be putting your best foot forward. So if you're not finding that efficiency, you're not getting a lot done. Not only does that endanger your current position, but it also may impact your future. And this should be a time where, because you have so much time, you should absolutely not only be getting things done more efficiently, but have free time to learn new things. That's going to help your career. That's going to help your profession going forward. So if you're not, if you don't get that, if 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 the yin yang is not in order, or you're losing the mojo, um, you know, maybe exercising before you start to work. Right? Um, we do our exercises as a family at night before we go to bed, but. You, you need to get into that rhythm. Otherwise, it's, it's going to be very, very dangerous, I think. That is such a solid advice. Uh, I, I really love it. Uh, this is definitely the time to invest in yourself. And I think that's why it makes so much sense that, um, you know, you, Neil, you launched a book, right, in, a, in the middle of a pandemic. Well, people do have time right now on their hands to, read, to invest in themselves, to develop themselves. So this is really, really great advice. Um, I want to go back a bit to your um, to the early stage of your career. I know I want to ask you a question about you know what do you wish you knew when you were just starting out in, in your career? Like if you'd be able to give yourself some advice, uh, what would it be? Well, I would say to have more intent in what I do mm. and to follow my passions even more. Um, the, the intent, a lot of what's happened to me has really been inbound. Um, I've never proactively prospected for business, right? Which is an amazing thing. Yeah. But at yeah, the same time. Enough. Yeah, definitely something to, <laughs> to be lucky for. <laughs> right. But at the same time, I have let the outside world and the needs of businesses 
um, have impact. Yes. Yes. Influence my business. So, um, you know, I, I would say that would be a, a, a critical thing um, of just, you know, tapping into who you are, what you want to do. I think in life, we sometimes get ourselves into positions that after three to six months, it's like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And, 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 and this is what I mean, right? Even whether you're, a, you know, an entrepreneur like myself or you are, are working at a company, it's really the same thing. Um, if, if you feel you're not growing where you are or um, it's not going in the direction you want to take things, you really need to make a change because I don't think situations like that get better. So, you know, if I could tell myself, it's really sort of the same things that I tell my customers, you know, what would success look like? Right. Um, and I, it's funny because my daughter, uh, she's a, a, going to be a sophomore in high school. Uh, a lot of her friends are launching nonprofits. It's like, you know, if we launch a nonprofit, it'll be easier to get into college. I'm like, you know, it really doesn't work that way. Right. Um, what is, you know, when you, when you are applying to college, what is it that you want to write in your essay or say in an interview about yeah. that nonprofit? What impact did you have? Right. What numbers would you talk about? What, you know, what stories would you tell? And it's really the same thing about your career, about working at any given company or, or what I want to do. If I'm really successful with this fractional CMO work, what would that lifestyle look like a year from now or two years from now? And do I like that? And am I still passionate about it? And these are the things of sort of, sort of reverse engineering what success looks like uh, and thinking of all the steps I need to take to get there and working and planning with more intent is something that I wish I had done a little bit more of. Um, I think that I would have been able to um, better steer my future in a more productive, impactful, and successful way. Not that I, I am a, I'm a person that tries to live life with no regrets. I, I, every decision I made, I have no regrets on, but if I could teach myself something, that's what it would be. That's such a great answer. And it just makes me think about the fact that this kind of intent is also very much correlated with building up your confidence is even if things just happen to yourself and you, you get lucky and things, you know, end up actually pretty well for yourself, you can, it, it's really hard to just own it because it, it happened. Uh, you didn't really, you know, build up for that. And I feel that if you actually work with intent, like you described it, in, you can, you can really own it and it really helps with confidence. So I, I definitely agree with what you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that confidence building aspect of it is huge. Well said. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a, a bit about, uh, you know, talking about uh, soft skills. I want to ask you about um, the habits and the skills that you struggled the most to develop in yourself. I feel like in our industry, we talk so much about perfect stories and <laughs> too, li too little about failures and, and, you know, challenges and struggles. So I want to ask you about what was the, the skill that you struggled the most to develop in yourself? And if you have any, any current ones that you're trying to improve? Um, I think, um, you know, one of the skills, the soft skills that I always try to improve upon, and it, it's going to sound funny when I say it, is, <laughs> is timeliness. And what I mean by timeliness is uh, promising and finishing and showing up on time all the time. Mm. I say this because uh, people like myself that are sort of authors and speakers, we get pulled in a lot of directions, right? right. And, and this is related to that, uh, you know, never having a prospect, which is a great thing. But on the other hand, 
you get pulled into so many things that at some point you have to say no. Yeah. Because if not, you overextend yourself and then all, you know, all the projects that you have, um, you, you know, you, you just can't, you logistically and physically just can't complete in time unless you, you know, you, you plan together with your team on, on how you complete that in a timely manner. So that is always a soft skill that I'm always trying to do better at. And so I should have said, well, the timeliness is important, but more important is learning when to say no or learning when to really put conditions down that says, I can't do this unless you do this. You know, I'll have people reach out to me for, Hey, you know, can I get your advice on this? Or, you know, can I, I have a 15 minute interview with you and, and I have to say no. Right. And they'll say, well, it's only 15 minutes, but you know, the way that I look at 15 minutes as well, if I only have 40 hours a week, um, you know, 15 minutes, it, it doesn't equal, maybe it's 0.5% of my time, but it, it impacts, right? Every yeah. time you spend doing something has an impact. And that is, that is something I'm going to probably be spending the rest of my life trying to master. But that is definitely something it, it's sort of like, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, they say to always stop eating when your stomach's about 80% full. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like saying, well, my time is about 80% full. I need to leave a little bit of open time for emergencies. So no, I don't have time. It, yeah. It's sort of creating that same thing in my mind. Yeah. So those actually, those 15 minutes that you mentioned, they actually represent quite a big chunk of the time that you have left that is not yeah. committed to clients and work that you've already planned. Um, so it does represent, it does represent quite a big percentage. Um, exactly. And, right. And it adds yeah, up, right? Yeah, it does add up. And it, it also connects where you just had, you know, the thing about prioritizing and, and saying no, it very much connects with what you said before about intent. Because if you just say everything, if you say yes to everything that comes your way, you're, you know, you're not focused. You're not working with intent towards what you want to achieve. You just go with whatever comes towards you. Um, and, so, and, I, I, and I actually learned this from working with a startup before social media, because as a salesperson, we would get, you know, oh, yes. all sorts of different projects. <laughs> and, and your job is to generate, and I'm sure you've seen this from your own company, right? You have, you <laughs> yeah. know, hey, can we, just, can we just like add this feature or can we customize the product in this way? And my CEO would say, Neil, we only have so many people. They're, yeah. they're dedicated resources. And if we do that, it opens up, you know, potential areas in our product that could, um, you know, that could impact other customers. And, and so, yeah, it's always that, you know, it, it's a great startup mentality, I think. Um, but, but trying to have more of that, I think, is a really, really good thing for anybody to have. It's just you have a limited team, limited resources, and you need to make the biggest impact. And just because someone reached out to you doesn't mean that's going to be the key to success. Yeah, 100% agree with you. So my last question before we move forward with uh, our rapid fire session, um, my last question is quite a controversial one. Uh, I wanna, yes. <laughs> so I want to ask you if, you know, with this industry of ours that is especially social media that is just very fast moving, very dynamic. We have so many new trends every day, every single week. Uh, there's new stuff out there. Um, new buzzwords. Uh, I want to ask you if there's any buzzwords or trends or just popular things in, in social and marketing today that you disagree with or that you think is massively overrated. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny. It's social media marketing world. Um, you know, two things really struck me. Number one is there was like this full day dedicated to Facebook ads. And <laughs> yeah. to me, Facebook ads is paid media. It's not social media. Right. Right. Um, so that's sort of the, you know, everyone, I hear all these people talking about social media marketing 
and they immediately talk about Facebook ads. And it's like, that's, you know, I think they sort of miss the point of, of, of social media marketing when you put it that way. Um, but what, what's really interesting, and it obviously happens with, you know, any given um, uh, new network that comes on the scene. Uh, I remember seeing it with Google+. Plus. Uh, I remember seeing it with Snapchat and we're, I remember I, in some ways I even saw it with Foursquare and now we're definitely seeing it with TikTok, which is the new shiny object that, and right. I remember it's social media marketing world, you know, every TikTok presentation, it was just overflowing with people. <laughs> so, you know, what, what's really interesting is that whenever something new comes out, there's always a lot of bloggers and marketers that just immediately go to it like a magnet and they start creating buzz by blogging about it and speaking about it. And, you know, this is the future of marketing. Um, you know, I'll never forget seeing a Foursquare presentation back in 2012, I think. And, you know, it, it, there were two younger uh, people that had helped restaurants uh, with their Foursquare and they were on stage. Uh, and, you know, so an older person in the audience raised their hand and said, well, why does my business need to be on Foursquare? And, and their response is, oh, you have to be on Foursquare. Everyone's on Foursquare. When you look at the data, that's not the point. So what's really interesting is that whenever something new comes out, people forget about the old, right? Well, you know, if it's all about TikTok, well, what about LinkedIn? What about Facebook? Do people just immediately stop using these social networks and spend all their time on TikTok? right? When Google Plus came out, did people just unplug from LinkedIn and Twitter and start working elsewhere? And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, as you know, um, people are still on these other social networks. And when something is new, it's also untested, right? But yep. I think you need to put all this in perspective and have a really, you know, holistic way of looking at it. Who is using the social network? And I think Snapchat was a great example. There were you know, I remember one gentleman saying, oh, you need to be doing, you know, B2B business, you know, the future's on Snapchat. And it's like, no, you know, the future's LinkedIn and it always has been LinkedIn. Um, so, you, you know, you need to, the blog, you know, the blogosphere and social media is full of so many different voices. You need to take a historical perspective. Yes, TikTok's going to grow, but who is the TikTok user, right? It's mm -hmm. mainly, and the data is going to shift over time, but it's mainly a younger audience. It's the audience that's also using Snapchat. Uh, it's also the audience is probably also on Instagram, right? Yeah. And then you have the whole format, which is, I guess you could call them videos or stories, um, but it's related to, you know, music, right? And dance. And those are the people that have done really well because it used to be musically. So, you know, does your company's culture, does your company's content fit that, right? If you're a dancer, like, you know, uh, Charlie, who is the biggest TikTok influencer, it's awesome, right? Um, if you're a musician, perfect. But it may not be appropriate for every brand yet. Now, this is going to change, right? But you're never too late. You know, you could launch an Instagram channel today and still be very successful. You could launch a LinkedIn company page today and still be very successful. And two years from now, you can launch yourself on TikTok and still be very successful if TikTok ends up changing, as it probably will. We'll wait and see what it becomes. But that, that's, you know, whenever there's something new, all the attention goes that new platform. And I'm like, perfect. You go there. I'm going to stay here <laughs> in the proven platforms where I know that there's tons of people still there. And you could say the same thing about Facebook, right? And, you know, with people boycotting Facebook ads, it actually gives you an opportunity yep. of maybe being able to advertise very cheaply on Facebook. And <laughs> I know some of my clients have found that with not just Facebook, but with Google as well during the pandemic. So, yeah, I think, you know, you always need to listen to everything, um, put it in perspective do what's right for your business, but understand that people just don't pull the plug. They're not going to just, 
you know, cancel their Facebook account and start to spend 100% of their time on TikTok. And guess what? If you're confused by TikTok, so are a lot of other people like you that are, that are trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, I, I think that some of these social networks have done better than others because they're just intuitive, extremely intuitive social media, right? You know, whereas Snapchat yeah. never was. And TikTok, I'm not going to say it's, it's like Snapchat, but it does have some elements where it's like, yeah. huh. And, you know, you find yourself looking up uh, videos on YouTube and you've seen teenagers showing you how to do it. It's like, this isn't the way it should be. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. This is such a great answer. I think it really helps with a lot of the fear of missing out that marketers feel so many times a new trend, you know, comes up. I don't know why, but it's just us marketers that are so obsessed about new trends. And I think it's so reassuring to hear this from, you know, from someone else experienced in the industry that you don't need to jump today on every new single thing that, uh, you know, comes out. Um, yes, every minute you spend on do, working and trying to figure out a new platform like that is one minute less you could be spending on a tried and true platform to engage with more people that you know are already there and probably already have an interest in your company. So you got to put everything in perspective. If you have, I try to devote my Fridays to sort of R and D and innovation and give myself free time to think. Mm. So if you have an hour a week, use that hour a week. Right. But outside of that, don't (laughs) stick with your other. (laughs) There you go. That's also a great productivity tip, you know, a dedicated a day for research and innovation and just thinking through things and, you know, vision and that kind of stuff. Good. Um, So let's move forward with our rapid fire session. So I have three quick questions from you. Quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? Do my best. Okay, perfect. So the first one is if you want to be doing what you're doing today, what else do you think you would do? Uh, I would probably still be in B2B sales. Yeah. Okay, good. So that, that means you were quite happy there as well. That's good. <laughs> I, um, I'm, a very, I'm a very outgoing person and that's why I love speaking and, and going to conferences, right? Uh, uh, because I'm very, you know, a, a extrovert. So that's why I wanted to get into sales. I'd have the ability to meet lots of people. So yeah, I would probably well be still that. doing that. Yeah, it ties well with that. Makes sense. Uh, what's your favorite app or tool that you use um, at work? Ooh, um, you know, my, f- oh, there, there's too many, um, but I'll become a big fan of uh, active campaign. Um, you know, in the pandemic, so many businesses have been trying to figure out how to better engage digitally. And we see so many companies starting up email lists out of nowhere. Right. Um, but active campaign really, um, allows me to be very, very efficient with marketing automation with, uh, and really with getting to know each one of the people on my list a lot better and then being able to personalize uh, my messaging to them. So I've had my clients move from like ConvertKit to ActiveCampaign, from HubSpot to ActiveCampaign. So um, big fan. Great. Okay. And my last question is, worst advice that you've ever received? The worst advice that you'd ever received? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I'm going to, this, I know this is like rapid fire. I don't have <laughs> no a, worries. I don't have a rapid. Um, but that means that, that means you're lucky. You only received like good, uh, good uh, advice or lucky because yeah. you didn't take it into consideration. <laughs> yeah. Probably the bad advice. It just went in one ear and out the other. Right. I just didn't even consider it. Well, okay. This isn't necessarily bad advice. But this came from someone very well respected in the social media industry. Mm. So I wrote books in 2009, 2011, 2013. And in 2015, 16, I'm like, you know, I feel like I really need to write that next book to to keep on this this course of writing books every two to three years. And someone very well respected said, you know, Neil, you don't need to write a book. You don't need to write a book to 
become more influential and, you know, and, and to keep speaking and what have you. And, and he was right, right? I, I ended up not writing a book, but when I wrote this new book, I realized and I remembered that having a new book gives you something to talk about. Right. It gives people something they want to listen to. It's if you are looking for speakers, oh, they have a new book out, right? It gives them a reason to want to hear from you. It, it still is amazing credibility booster and it's, it leads to new business and it's done so already with, you know, and it's only been out for four months now. So um, th that was advice that I wish I had really pushed myself to have written. It would have been a different book, but to have written a book earlier to keep my name out there in the market, because guess what? Every day it's a fight for attention. It's, it's, it's the right. attention economy. And a book is a very, very powerful tank in your artillery or your, you know, your, your arsenal of, 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 of tools and of weapons that can really help make an impact. So yes, yeah. that was the worst advice that I listened to, but then I stopped listening to, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah, you always got to produce content. I think that's kind of the summary of our conversation for today. Absolutely. And, and really in a visible way, not just blog content, yes. but you know, lead magnets or, or you know, YouTube channel, what have you. Exactly. This was such a great conversation, Neil. Thank you so much for taking time to, to talk with me and, and share this story of yours. Where can people learn more about you and potentially reach out? Well, my name is Neil Schaefer, and that's my handle everywhere on social media. Yes, I, I do have a TikTok account. Don't spend a lot of time <laughs> there yet. Um, <laughs> um, and neilschaefer.com. So I am the real Neil. That's N-E-A-L. And there's a few of us Schaefers that lurk around in, in social media. Uh, the way you spell my last name is S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. I also have a podcast called the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast, where I talk about, I look at digital and social media marketing through this lens of digital influence. So uh, if you're interested in that, check that out as well. And my new book is called The Age of Influence, which you can find at uh, any fine bookseller throughout the world. That is great. Thank you so much, Neil, for sharing all of this and for taking the time to, to talk to me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you again. I did as well. Thank you. And for everyone else listening in, thank you so much for joining. And I, I hope you enjoyed this, this chat as much as I enjoyed talking to Neil. And don't forget, we have a new episode every Wednesday. Subscribe to People of Marketing on your favorite podcast app. Until next time.